0: Hello, you're listening to the Academy Securities Geopolitical and Macro Strategy Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Robinson, and today's podcast episode is a recording from a webinar we held on Tuesday, November 26th, 2022. The topic of this webinar was Crypto, a Brave New World, featuring Academy Advisory Board member Christopher Perkins, our head of macro strategy, Peter Chur. And Rachel Washburn, VP of Geopolitical Strategy, moderating the discussion.
1: Thank you all for joining us today for Academy's crypto webinar, A Brave New World. Very excited to be joined today by Chris Perkins, Academy's advisory board member, president of Point Bond, and uh, former Marine Corps veteran, as well as Peter Chur, our head of macro strategy, to discuss. What has occurred in the crypto market in the crypto space um, over the last year and especially with a lens towards the downfall of FTX so um, to essentially lay out the framework for the discussion Chris when I want to give the floor first to you to essentially answer um, what has happened, why are we here.
2: Yeah, thank you. And uh, in, in addition uh, to being a Marine and now being the president of CoinFund, I also was at Lehman Brothers. Uh, so I've been through insolvencies before. Uh, and then I did uh, spent 13 years after that working with regulators to, to clean up some of, of the mess from Lehman Brothers. Um, so the crypto industry has emerged in the, you know, since 2008. Remember, it's not that old. Bitcoin, uh, really the white paper came out in 2008. Ethereum came out in 2014, 2015. And so over the last year, you've seen this like incredible innovation and building. And, and what people don't realize is that there is an entire market structure for crypto that has emerged. And it, is, it emerged um, it kind of it moved very quickly. Uh, and it was almost like this parallel world. You know, I came from traditional finance. There's buy side, there's sell side, there's regulated exchanges and custodians. And the world in crypto grew very fast. And there was incredible demand for, for, for products and services And in many cases, it feels as though the technology outpaced the pace of regulation and policy. And and we can talk a little bit about some of the the challenges there. Um, But as it emerged, you saw this thing. And the idea of of crypto is around decentralized finance, leveraging blockchain technologies. Remember, core principles, blockchain technologies uh, to allow peer-to-peer transactions trustless and permissionless. But as it emerged, um, other things uh, grew in its place. Uh, centralized finance, or we call it CFI, you'll hear me talk about CFI, also emerged, and we saw the emergence of some pretty major exchanges, um, ones like Binance, FTX, Coinbase. Uh, you saw the emergence of you know various uh, buy side players, um, sell side players, um, and all the different similar to what we had in traditional finance, but oftentimes because of demand these entities and organizations had to build more, more services than you'd ordinarily see. And look, conflicts of interest exist in traditional finance as they do in, in crypto, but oftentimes you'd have an exchange that was also kind of a, a clearinghouse, kind of a custodian all wrapped into one. Um, and, and so the it's a small industry too. Um, you know, at its height, crypto was about 3 trillion. It's sub 1 trillion right now. And so, you're seeing a lot of um, noise in the space um it started with a series of events uh over the summer there was a there was something called terra luna that uh it was a it was an algorithmic stable coin um that that essentially it worked as it was designed the code worked as it was designed but due to some market forces uh it ended up in a death spiral and eliminated like 60 billion dollars in, in capital um there were also additional issues around a a, a hedge fund called three hours capital which in many ways, um, you know, a lot of these things are getting worked out, the exact specifics and the nuances, but, you know, we've seen similar issues um, based on our knowledge today of what happened, you know, akin to Archegos and traditional finance, where players deploy a ton of leverage um, and nobody throughout that ecosystem just knows exactly how much leverage one player is um, is taking. So there was an insolvency there as well. And then you've seen, um, as time's gone on, a lot of the CFI. Or centralized providers have been come under stress. Uh, this includes borrowers and lenders, like people like BlockFi. Now we're dealing um, with some stress with an entity called Genesis. Um, and then uh, of course, FTX. Now FTX um, was is a big deal um, for a couple of reasons. Um, it started off, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried uh, started off with a company called Alameda Research. He came from um, Jane Street and was building this trading firm um, called Alameda. And over time, he realized that, you know, he could build an exchange um, that was closely connected with Alameda. That exchange uh, grew very, very massively. Uh, it was like one of the top three exchanges in the world, started in Hong Kong, later moved to Bahamas. A lot of it was offshore. Um, there was a U.S. arm as well. Uh, and there was also a non-shore derivatives um, arm that was regulated. But but the preponderance of the activity was really overseas and unregulated. Um, and... FTX differentiated itself in a couple of ways. Uh, in, adi- in addition to having that exchange, which was really known for its derivatives products, um, they deployed a ton of their capital to marketing. And, um, you know, the FTX Arena in Miami was is an, is an example, but they brought a number of celebrities on um, and really tried to build their brand. And I thought they were very successful in doing that. And then they also tried to differentiate themselves as being um, the compliant uh, leader, right? Where they would sought to shape regulation, um, you know, Sam himself was one of the top donors to the Democratic Party. One of the other senior folks there was one of the top donors to the Republican Party. So there was a lot of knowledge, like there was a lot of um, focus on advocacy, regulation, and then marketing. Um, And, you know, I've I've testified with Sam and I've been in uh, CFTC roundtables with him and he would continue to harp on protection of client assets. So uh, a couple of things happened in the market. And without getting into all of the specifics um, people will tell you that there was a quote run on the bank, Um, even though it wasn't a bank, it was an exchange. And ultimately um, there was a lab, there was a liquidity uh, issue and there is now a belief that customer funds were used. um, And a lot of it seems related to um, the relationship between Alameda that trading entity uh, and also the exchange. And so they, Files for bankruptcy and what we know thus far is that um, the new CEO um, has indicated that it's very messy Um, books and records are not great. Um, And, you know, it will be a very, very complex long undertaking due to some of the jurisdictional challenges, um, books and records, etc. Oh, and by the way, there was also a hack in during the process and. a fairly material hack, and so that's further undermines some of the um, the confidence in that in that organization. So those was, the hacker has been moving around. People are tracking them very closely. Um, and then finally, there's a lot of complexity between um, the, the jurisdiction of the Bahamas and in Chapter 11, and here in New York where it was declared. Um, and so from there, uh, there's been other concerns with other centralized players. Sam had put money into a lot of the centralized um, providers. Those providers, um, you know, now are, are not subject to that liquidity, so they're struggling. So, you're seeing this effect across CFI. Um, however, I will I'll, I'll pause there. But before we go on, I'll tell you that there, the 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 DeFi, going back to core principles, um, the that trustless, permissionless, decentralized aspect of finance has performed as it was designed, and those protocols thus far have held up. Um, and so. You know, maybe I'll pause there. Um, Rachel, we can we can go from there.
1: Yeah, well, I want to pull the thread on a, a point that you, you touched on on that FTX was essentially known as the standard bearer for um, promoting regulation in the space, being a, a safe place to invest in this burgeoning currency um, and platform. It's quite ironic that it's having such a, Magnificent downfall. So, what do you? How do you think that will inform regulation moving forward in the digital cryptocurrency per- space?
2: Yeah, the regulatory question is is a super important point, and it's something that you know our company we believe in principles based regulation. I think a lot of people will you know easily point fingers at regulators, but I, I published an op ed uh, with Christian Carlo and, and Mark Weijen actually um, that we need better policy. Um, you know, the Biden administration's talked about um, having embracing responsible innovation. Um, I would say that what I described um, previously was not responsible, but there's still a lot of innovation out there. And it's very important that we have policy in the United States. It's principles based that actually empowers our regulators to do what they need to do, particularly for centralized organizations and CFI. 5 And what are those principles? Um, disclosures. Uh, and, and client protections are, are obvious there. It's often oftentimes hard to regulate away from um, fraud and malfeasance, but you know, to the extent that you have that transparency and there's a lot of talk of, of in the space now of, of proof of reserves, proof of liabilities, I would argue that you also need to have a bankruptcy overlay. Um, but the fact is, is we do not have um, good laws today that specifically address the uniqueness of the asset class. What we've done till now is try to see, hey, what, what, which one goes into the SEC? Which of these tokens goes into the CFTC rather than be, you know, what I would prefer to see is principles based. And then like, you know, let's get after it, everyone, and do the right thing. Um, and so, like, the challenge is, is that everything in the United States is a commodity except for movie receipts, onions, and, and securities. And to ascertain what a security is, you apply something called the Howey test which is based on an orange grove in Florida. And so the SEC will apply the Howey test and it goes into their bucket. It just hasn't been clear um, in many cases what these assets are or are not. And so the regulators have to be really careful because if they you know, reach into the other bucket, then it's an issue. And so hopefully that this will get us past some of those challenges to have that thoughtful policy where we can, again, focused on principles um, transparency, disclosures, protection of client assets, et cetera. I mean, I spent 10 years doing this in the aftermath of the Lehman uh, insolvency in the derivative space. So there's plenty of precedent, but, but that's an issue. The other thing I'll tell you is that a lot of this activity even moved offshore and, you know, extraterritorial territorial um, challenges will remain unless we have relationships there. Um, as you look at the regulated onshore activity, it, it actually is still solvent. So that's the other thing to consider. Um, and the other thing to be careful about is, you know, we are seeing incredible innovation on in decentralized finance, which is much different than centralized finance. And our hope is that we just don't bucket it all together and say, hey, you know, DeFi should be regulated like CeFi because it's different, it's code, it's operating in the internet. And so I think we have to have, you know, additional layer of thought that goes into to that side of, of the technology.
1: I want to revisit that that thought a little bit later in the conversation because we're having some questions from the audience already that uh speak to that theme and so just a reminder for the audience if you do have any questions for chris or peter please do type them in the q a portion and we'll definitely address those throughout the conversation peter want to bring you in um you've been focusing on crypto for a while now curious about your view on the essential contagion effect of this particular event and your thoughts more broadly on the space?
3: Yeah, I think we are gonna see continued pressure for now, at least in the crypto space. Just uh, today, FTX bankruptcy judge approved redacting the names of the 50 largest holders. I think that's gonna lead to speculation who in this space still has exposure. Every time one of these companies seems to have had any sort of issues, the same three or four people come in as potential saviors. So I think people, are becoming questioning are they saviors? Are they trying to keep this alive? So I think we're going to feel a lot more pressure on this industry, at least for the next few months, until we start really figuring out who the winners are, who the losers are, getting separation, figuring out what assets are left. And then I think that's the starting point where we can think about how does this look going forward. Um, I do understand a lot of what Chris is saying of the D5 versus you know C5. The one issue that seems to do pop up, and I'm a little bit more skeptical of is. I think your hybrid model might be more interesting is it seems very difficult to do anything all peer-to-peer without some centralized place without someone acting as you know in between especially as we're going to move to institutional i personally believe that we're going to see a slowdown in institutional adoption i think we've already seen that i think they're going to take a lot of convincing to come to the table and that's going to require both a regulatory effort but i think the companies themselves are going to have to figure out can they succeed and be successful by really getting up ahead of the regulatory environment, right? Being more trustworthy, more honest, maybe then competitors are just more clear. And maybe that becomes the competitive advantage. So I think we're going to see developments. I think we kind of have more of this crypto winter for the next two to three months. You'll start seeing people emerge. Um, but I think it's going to slow down adoption. People are going to want to be comfortable. Um, and for me, I think the bigger part right now is when we look at what this means for the economy, I actually think this is a bigger deal for the economy probably than markets. I think there was a correlation between crypto and markets early this year. And I think that's a lot of the same people had investments spread across. They were levered. And so when one part went down, it dragged the others. I think we've seen a little bit more separation right now, where clearly you're going to have the coin bases and the uh, micro strategies, which are directly tied to crypto, move up and down with crypto. But you see less of that. What's curious is we basically were at $3 trillion in crypto A year and a half ago, we're now down to sub a trillion. That's been an immense amount of wealth lost in unexpected ways. I think they were huge contributors to the advertisers. How much they were buying in terms of chips is affecting the semiconductor industry. So I think there's actually going to be a bigger impact to the economy. And I think that's going to be felt again already, I think, being felt when you look at some of the semiconductor numbers. And I think that's going to increase until the stabilizes and we see new growth. Because that was the big thing, right? These companies were able to raise money. And they were spending it on growth or at least supposed to be spending it on growth so they were huge buyers of you know advertising they were huge buyers of semiconductors and that's going to slow down until this reassembles itself and people come back to valuations and say okay what does this next iteration look like and i, I do think there can be opportunities on that but it's going to look very different than the wild wild west and people are going to spend a lot more time doing traditional due diligence and i think chris mentioned it and i've been talking about this for a while where your domicile is going to make a difference. Where your founders are domiciled is going to make a difference, right? The more that you feel that you have access to something that can be controlled and monitored by authorities, I think it's going to be better. Well,
1: so let's let's further that point as Chris is. Cryptocurrencies and in this space, as it scales, as it becomes more regulated, as it becomes better understood by consumers or investors, how does it maintain its primary essence as a decentralized currency? You know, one that's designed for the unbanked and, um, frankly, thrives in a pseudo-unregulated environment. Can you talk about that? Uh, maybe perceived conflict in, in bringing it. You know, moving it forward um, while not losing its primary integrity.
2: Yeah. So again, l- let's look at DeFi as an example. And I think Peter's right. In order for widespread institutional adoption, um, there are a couple of things that are need to be that'll need to be solved. Um, the first would be like some of the sanctions problems. Like, so you know, DeFi, and by the way, this is not a DeFi in itself issue is the people that transact on DeFi, it's their issue that they need to solve for, in in, in my opinion. But if institutions want to come into this decentralized world, you know, it's very inclusive. Um, Everything that we do in crypto is instantaneously global. And so they're going to need to make sure that they come into environments um, that that solve for um, some of perhaps the sanctions issues that 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 could abound. Based on our analysis, we find very little um, sanctions activity in traditional DeFi. We uh, we use a number of different analytics firms. Generally, less than one percent of the pools um, are indeed a challenge. Um, I would argue personally, if you if you want to unpack the sanctions uh, issue, um, CBDCs pose a much bigger threat as as countries start building their own CBDCs and that peer to peer. But we can have that conversation separately. Um, so we're seeing incredible technologies coming online to solve for this challenge, um, things such as soulbound NFTs or ecosystems that that will be able to where, where institutions will be able to transact. Um, what is why? Why is this such a big deal? Why is blockchain such a big deal? Because we've we've created a fundamental innovation on the ledger itself, right? The ledger itself tracks title, it tracks um, liabilities. Um, assets and liabilities. It started in Mesopotamia 7,000 years ago. That part of the world exploded in value and it was the center of the economy, of uh, the global economy for centuries. Second innovation in the Renaissance. This allows trustless, permissionless change of title. Um, it can be applied to any type of uh, in real life asset. Uh, we're seeing applications already um, from the title space to the real estate space, um, You know, even to the art space, NFTs, et cetera. So, like we're we're still at the beginning, and anytime we've seen a new introduction of technology, uh, and I'm not speaking about anybody specifically, but clearly there has been fraudsters have have been have been a part of that, taking advantage of, of this change. And it's it's a time that we're very, um, I guess, vulnerable because technology is changing so fast. And so, I, I do believe it has a an important future. Getting back to those core principles, right? Uh, by its nature, DeFi is very transparent. And, and you know to the extent that you understand it and you know that if A equals B, then C, and that's how the program works, uh, it's very difficult to, to be fraudulent provided that you can you can read and understand it. So anyway, those are some of the thoughts that we're thinking about. Yeah, and
3: I'll just add, I think going back, I think one of the things that I've been looking for and has continued to happen is I think it's causing some pressure within the traditional system, right? So you are seeing innovation. You're seeing fees come down in response to this. You're seeing things like Venmo and Zelle, which are not block dependent, but are becoming alternatives, right? If you're trying to go back to what are we solving for? Easy transactions, getting money to move relatively quickly. I think it is spurring innovation, not just in the blockchain, but I think outside of that, right? The people who have that existing business are looking for ways to retain it. So I think you're going to see that as a real competition as well, where people try and come up with these other systems, other opportunities for us to look at that may or may not be part of the You know, blockchain community, Um, and again, there's huge incentives for these companies to keep that. And you know, I'll go back to the simple thing as credit cards. Right, there is a cost to using credit cards. On the other hand, you get fraud, and someone fixes that for you pretty much instantaneously. At least in my case, I've never had a problem with credit card fraud that hasn't been resolved. So I think it's like a lot of things we talk about. There are costs, but we also have to think about some of these holistically, and that's going to be the real competition too. Is how much can convince people that the potential or Alleged hidden costs aren't there, and the more you can make clear that this isn't hackable and that it's not fraudulent, the better. So I, I think it's going to be a balancing act between some traditional technologies as well.
2: Peter, you, you said something about institutional adopting adoption slowing, and I, I I think that that will be the case in the in the immediate term. However, you know, in my career, I've always seen direct correlation between regulation and institutional adoption, and so there is a school of thought. Um, that I that I think is, is is accurate. That policy and regulation will accelerate. Now um, we can't afford to sit around and and allow this to continue to happen. So with that acceleration, I think we'll have you know in in, in the medium term here uh, better boundaries and rules of the road, which will allow the institutions to more easily participate in our ecosystems.
3: Yeah, that makes perfect sense to I me. Mean, I think it's one of the reasons we're doing this. I think we want to start making sure that academy is taking advantage of your skills and the other skills to get in front of this. And as this develops, keep people on top and hopefully guide people, because that's something that does come up more and more in our conversations, particularly with corporations. How are they supposed to use this? How are they supposed to look at this? How are they supposed to think about it? And I think it's going to become easier to be a voice of reason as you start framing a world that we're kind of more used to living in.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I think coming out of this, um, you know, we have a word in crypto, it's called DGENs, like, you know, the DGENs do what DGENs do. Um, but I think you're going to come out of this seeing much, seeing an institutional nature emerge, an institutional framework emerge, and a, and a more institutional, um, predicated on, on strong principles-based regulation emerge out of this. With all the benefits that we talked about, transparency, peer-to-peer, instantaneously settlement, et cetera.
1: Well, that's a perfect segue and we've already touched on a little bit into one of the audience's questions. Um, Maybe we can build on that. What are two practical applications for Bitcoin? And um, to further that point, with those practical implications in mind, why is it worth the risk to lose potentially 70% of their investment um, just to save on things like bank fees and and wire fees?
2: Um, I would rather answer that by talking about uh, crypto generally and and practical (laughs) use cases. Um, you know bitcoin is the first um cryptocurrency it's the most decentralized um you know it, there are numerous um ways people have thought about its application uh is it a store of value is it a payment mechanism it's the first on um, it's the biggest cryptocurrency i don't think about utility in in bitcoin you know as in, in 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 ways that i think about others um so for bitcoin you know i think the general consensus is that it is a store of value in one shape or form. And today it is storing value. It's not zero, um, but it clearly it, it, it's volatile. Um, but when I think about utility across um, various use cases, um, stable coins maybe are the first thing to come to mind, right? So stablecoin is a tokenized dollar. Um, I don't have to, I can settle uh, a dollar with anyone anywhere in the world, um, away from banking hours instantaneously. So I can transmit a, a unit of uh, a dollar uh, anytime, uh, you know, whether it's USDC issued by somebody like circle, uh, et cetera. So like the ability to instantaneously settle, um, is, is one obvious utility. I'll, I'll unpack another one, um, that, that, you know, we'll get into a little bit of, um, something a little bit more sophisticated now. So there's a company, um, it's called Declimate. It's in our portfolio. And what these guys do is they've put blockchain, they put weather data on chain. Weather data is very difficult um, to, it, it's very fragmented, it's different. It's very difficult to find a record of truth. And so um, if they've, they have a, a weather monitoring system, it's called Cyclops. They monitor the weather in various conditions and they're able to put that on chain. Um, by putting that on chain, it, un- it unlocks a number of different capabilities, um, you know, to the extent you need to hedge based on that data, you can. Um, but what they did was they, they moved into a part of the world, um, that isn't a great part of the world, but it's rich with, with rainforests. Uh, and what they were able to do is they were able to take those rainforests and cut them up into a number of different pieces. And, and each of the piece represented a certain amount of, um, carbon offset, um, that they were able to put into a non-fungible token. So you can take a piece of the rainforest. It's immutable. It's the only one. Um, and then by monitoring the carbon, um, footprint associated with that NFT, um, you know, you can effectively use those carbon offsets. Um, and so, what they what they do is instead of going to the government and saying, "Hey, I, you know, I, I want you to, I want to buy your carbon offsets," you give the government money. They take the money and, and run, and then they raise the rainforest. You actually have this ongoing monitoring. You issue the NFT. You can actually sell the carbon, uh, and then you can monitor it ongoing on an ongoing basis, so that that government gets, you know, most of the money towards the tail end of that ten years. Um, that's an example of, of how to leverage um, this technology. Uh, another example I can give you is something called, company um, called Demo. Um, and Demo is, um, you know, today people are always collecting your data. Um, you know, the way we think about it is, in Web two, it really fed into this innately human desire that we had to form tribes and to form groups. Um, but what happens is the the king, uh, the people who run the internet, they take all of your data and they monetize all of it. What Web3 allows you to do is it allows you to monetize your own data. And so we have a company called Demo, um, you know, for EV and other cars, the amount of data that you that you um, make available when you drive your car is very, very valuable. And so what they intend to do is to pay you um, for that data in the form of tokens. And so these are just a couple of use cases. There, there are many others. I think it's a fair critique um, across, um, across the crypto industries that, hey, what utility and value are you creating? Um, you know, as we look at the landscape, that's one of our true areas of focus. Um, and, and I can also tell you there's other things around title management, uh, etc. Um, but, but obviously, it's an excellent point around utility. And I think that's going to be an incredibly important theme going forward.
1: You know, I don't want to move away from this topic just yet because we had another question from the audience um, in the same vein, but maybe a little bit more specific to some social issues that crypto um, innovation solves for. So maybe even give that that title um, example or any others that are, uh, you know, in the very in the social. Um,
2: yeah. So, so social is super important. Um, we, we talked a little bit about E and then there's an S and a G. Um, like I said, crypto allows you to bank the unbanked. If if you're in Africa or Argentina or Venezuela, um, you know if you have access to to a phone, um, you can hold and store you know U.S. dollar stable coins. That that's super important. Um, in DeFi, if A equals B, then C. If your collateral uh, is a certain value, then you get a loan, right? You don't have to worry about the biases of a potentially a loan officer who's looking at you and how you look and where you're from. Um, it's if the conditions are met, then the conditions uh, are met. Um, so those are some of the things we look at from the S perspective. Um, you know, if you look at various communities in the United States, um, there's a lot of disadvantaged communities that have, have looked at this um, because it, there's a perception that they can eliminate intermediaries, and and that's what the technology does. It allows you to eliminate intermediaries uh, and and transact more peer to peer. And so in those communities, many folks, you know. Understand that. Look, the intermediaries haven't been good to me, and and over the generations. So, you know, maybe this is a way forward.
1: Thank you. Um, another question from the audience. Uh, the concept of instant settle. Why is that important in this space?
2: There was a bank called Herstat, um, which actually went insolvent because uh, of a mismatch in, in settlement timelines, and so. You know, when I was running futures at Citi, it would oftentimes take upwards of two to three days to have those Japanese yen settle. And so you may be out dollars and and um, not have received your yen, and, and, and it results in settlement risk. Um, I, I think that the economy is much more efficient if you can move things faster. Um, it, it, it tends to um, eliminate that settlement risk where I hope it's coming. Is it going to land? So it, it, it does eliminate something called Hurst risk.
1: Right, and um, to your point around the the unbanked, um, how does it in the backdrop of the current controversy, the downfall of FTX, how does the the space broadly fix solve for that marketing issue for people who maybe who aren't tied financially, um, aren't part of the financial system, who you have to the your the draw of the space is the transparency. How do you market towards that when that is the backdrop and so much of the noise um, around DeFi?
2: Yeah, so if you're marketing, then you're probably a centralized organization, and you should be subject to to regulations um, because you're centralized. Uh, you know that that's one of that would be that 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 would be how I would think about it. Um, And and like, again, what should that regulation look like? What should that policy look like? It needs to be principles based. And so if you're marketing, there need to be effective disclosures. Here's what you're investing in. Here are the risks. You know, when I speak to folks in Congress, um, they're like, how do we do this in a way that's accessible? How do you know today? It's it's a 70 page legalese document that nobody's going to understand anyway. And so what we do is we say, oh, listen, if you're accredited, if you make a certain amount of money, then you're allowed into the system. If you're not too bad, you know, you're out of it. Um, I know there's a lot of talk and discussion around, you know, how do we make it more inclusive? How, how do we make it more um, sophistication based rather than how much money you have? Um, but anyway, disclosures will be important. Um, and, you know, know your customers clearly important things of that sort. Um and and I guess that's how I think about it. But if there's marketing, there's a central company, and and then that needs to be you know thoughtfully targeted. And it, frankly, assets, client assets need to be protected.
1: Right, and maybe marketing isn't the exact word, but you know, how do you you reach out and touch people who would benefit from the technology? You know, who maybe are not part of the ecosystem to even learn about it. So that word of inclusive of, of educating and.
2: Yeah, I mean, the internet's an incredible thing, right? And the level of sophistication amongst retail has has gone you know has been exponential in in the last few years because of that open source open access across the internet uh, anyone can get on and you can learn about you know with the right uh with a little bit of time and, and effort you can learn about everything because it's all open source and that's one of the appeals uh, of the technology uh, and everything is also instantaneously global it's in the internet you just need to look for it
3: yeah. Hey, I just want to add something kind of tie into some of these questions, but more specifically to Bitcoin. You know, I'm definitely very skeptical of where Bitcoin itself heads from here. Again, we've talked about some of the problems with the settlements. Um, when I look at it from a marketing standpoint, right, it was going to be a store of value. It's going to be an inflation hedge. It was going to be something used for transactions. And it feels none of those have actually worked out particularly well. They still don't work very well as a means of transacting. Um, one thing that does bug me, you know, we hear a lot about is, oh, it's going to help the unbanked, right? And there are billions of people who make less than $2 a day. They are the unbanked, but I don't think providing them access is going to do any good because it's not going to be what shifts this. So I look at when I look at what the people who, quite frankly, seem to spend a lot of time trying to get Bitcoin prices higher, I find that argument very weak. I think the best use argument really is China, because it is probably the one place where you have a significant wealth concentrated with a decent number of people who want out of the system. But that country is specifically cracking down on their ability to use Bitcoin and other things. So I think that's going to be an ongoing dilemma is that if I look at all the use cases, I could see the one nation that makes sense to me is China, because there is immense wealth. It's spread out amongst a number of people, and they don't trust the system, rightfully so. I don't know that they're going to be allowed to stay outside of the system very long. I think that's a pressure you're going to feel. But I, I think we're going to have to look at use cases. And I think a lot of what you're talking about makes, you know, Chris was talking about makes sense. I personally don't see a lot in Bitcoin. And I think that still has a way to go down before it proves that there is something other than getting some new adopter in.
2: Yeah, you know, I I can't give investment advice, but I I do want to talk about um, stable coins. I think they're, and I know this audience is very focused on geopolitical uh, events as well, Peter, we'd love to get your thoughts. But Stable coins are, we we expect for legislation to come out around stable coins here in the near future. Stable coins generally represent a dollar, just I'm oversimplifying. Uh, And there are different flavors of stable coins. Some are backed. We had Terra Luna, which was an algorithmic stable coin. Um, Putting the algorithmic uh, piece of it aside, we do expect for law and regulation to put, to have specific requirements around licensing and then reserves. Um, the preponderance of those reserves will likely be treasuries. Um, and so with the emergence of stable coins, and they're already in existence and, and um, you know, companies like Circle, um, I do think that those folks in developing world will have a lot of appetite for stable coins because would you rather have a cryptocurrency that's volatile or would you rather have US dollars um, that you, know, you don't have to go down to your local bank and name your country because you can't get dollars there. Um, you can get them instantaneously. I do think that there will be increasing demand for the US dollar um, based on the emergence of stable coins.
3: Yeah, that does seem to be a growth area. I do like that some are being much more transparent about their holdings versus others. I think, again, hopefully those are the ones that went out because I think that's where it has to head. It'll be interesting to see how some of these um, sovereign digital currencies go. Well, I know we keep talking about the Fed coin, that still feels like it's a little bit off. The digital one, I think, unfortunately is bad just because it's yet another way for China to maintain control of their population. But I do think that we're also going to see countries experiment with this and try and figure out ways to digitize their system. Partly, I know, even from a policy standpoint, going back to the pandemic and whether it was PPP or even stimulus checks, that there were many, I think, at the Treasury Department who have liked an easier way to facilitate that transfer of money, whether it was the PPP, whether it was some sort of stimulus check and I think development of stable coins, especially a Fed coin will allow policy to enact. I think some people are nervous about that because it doesn't give too much control. But I I think there is going to be further development on the stable coin side. And it's also from the sovereign side and how that shapes policy. I think it was a much easier tool than some of the existing tools.
2: Yeah, the, the, uh, The development of digital yuan is very interesting, right? Because it's another example of applying the technology for extreme centralization rather than decentralization. One currency, centralized wallet, et cetera.
3: Yeah, and one of the things that some of our customers who have to do business there, for now it's only used by Chinese citizens for their purchases and they just have to facilitate that. The concern becomes, well, when do they have to start putting on their purchases of outside suppliers? When do they have to start doing this? And how much control or how much information does trying to get. So I think that's going to be a very balancing act where you're really going to want to see the more centralized it becomes, the more you know, fraud it is to becoming part of public policy and not getting what you want out of it. So there should be a space for private currencies in that where the goal is not to get your information and use it against you.
1: Yeah, Chris, can you speak to how, in your opinion, um... The geopolitical aspect does impact the effectiveness of a decentralized currency if you know the largest, most populated you know, country on the planet is no longer interfacing with it broadly. Like how, how does that undermine its influence uh, moving forward if you know nation by nation they're no longer participating in the ecosystem?
2: Yeah, so I think a lot of um countries are looking to develop a CBDC um, because they can directly transact with each other um, and they, they can avoid the, the, the um, correspondent banking system. And I think there are some national security th- things that we need to start really looking at um, from that perspective, uh, because I, I think it, it could be a challenge. I think the other challenge that's going to emerge into the future, and again, I'm speaking for myself, um, is to the extent that stablecoins coins. Um, emerge and, and they're, they're ubiquitous and accessible. U um, S government likes it because you to, to create a stable coin in the United States, you need to buy treasuries. That's a good thing. Um, you can see a situation where the dollar becomes even more dominant. And, you know, if you're in a developing world, what currency would you rather have your local currency or U um, S dollars? Um, so I think that that will cause some friction over time and i think it's something that something to watch um, my sense is that the the companies that issue the stable coins will probably play nice with the the developing world and and work with them on shared economics um, but that's something that if you you can see the the, the the reach of the dollar becoming even wider because it's just more easily accessible and preferred frankly
1: well in the last few minutes that we have um Oh, I just got a question to follow up your last comment. Um, how does stablecoin undermine the ability of the U.S. and allies to enforce economic sanctions on our private nations?
2: Um, I don't think U.S. dollar stablecoins issued from central issuers will undermine sanctions. I think the the innovation of stable of um of CBDCs from Actors on the sanctions list could help them better evade sanctions. Specifically, they don't have to go through correspondent banking systems. And so if you're, you know, country, if you're North Korea and you have a CBDC, um, you can exchange that peer to peer with another country potentially, you know, avoiding, you know, any kind of um, current um, sanctioned, uh, like banking, correspondent banking system. So that's how I see it. And that that would be a concern that I think regulators need to think about.
1: Well, in the last few minutes that we have, um, you know, there've been a few questions alluding to the uh, the tulip analogy, right? And given all the noise in this space, I want to give really Peter and Chris, but both of you, the opportunity to kind of give your your final thoughts on how our clients, our customers, our partners should be looking at this space. I mean, obviously, Chris, your your entire contribution to this discussion has. Um, you know, told about your point of view, but essentially would love some kind of closing remarks about how people should be looking at this space while it's experiencing, um, you know, maybe a bit of a, a PR issue and it's misunderstood. So um, really just a key takeaway for the audience um, on how to navigate it, the space at this time.
3: Peter, you want to start? Sure, I'll go first. Listen, I think right now you've got to be very cautious and a little bit skeptical, right? You have to see what's going on in these areas. You've got to dig a little bit deeper. How much of this was you know, marketing driven? How much of it was very circular in nature? I think that's something that until these unwinds are finally done, we just don't know how much each counterparty is exposed to itself. So I think you can look at projects that are important to your business necessarily, things that are important to what you might need. There are specific projects that, whether you call them cryptocurrency, it sounds like it's more like blockchain technology. So I think pursuing how blockchain technology can help you or your business, that to me makes a lot of sense because it's a technology that's grown. It's useful in many ways. I think I would stay away from the large cryptocurrencies right now. We can do a little bit more work on that, see where it is, um, and then start putting into plan. Okay, what does this look like three months, six months, a year down the road? Um, Because you go back almost two years ago, everyone was like, oh, my gosh, how do we get crypto on our books today? That's all dissipated. So now it's probably a good time. Let's start thinking about what would be realistic? What would we want it for? Why would we want it? And it's not just for ransomware. How does it, just, can, can we figure out ways to facilitate customer business? Can we figure out ways to make our supply chains better? And to the extent you can find that, I think it's good. Buying it because you think it's gonna go up 10%, well, the dollar only goes up, you, know, and you only get your small yield on it. I don't think that's legitimate corporate purpose. I think that was something people were kind of enamored with, that's gone away. So I guess my bottom line is, I think, be skeptical on where some of these existing technology or currencies are. Think about how you can facilitate your customers and look at blockchain independent of anything that's kind of thrown under the crypto or NFT kind of umbrella, because there may be really useful tools that you can use to help your businesses.
2: Look, from my perspective, um, this is a a very unfortunate um, time for the industry, again, where Cfi centralized finance fell into the same traps that we've seen time and time again across traditional finance there 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 really is no difference um this was not crypto this was centralized players um doing what what we've seen over and over again there's incredible value in the technology um it can it can we're we're get we're giving birth to a a new um, wave of the internet we call it web3 Uh, where we're able to put private property into the internet. It's self-sovereign, it's a creator economy, um, and and it's unlocking a lot of promise. Things to look out for in the coming months, uh, number one would be the crystallization of law and regulation. Um, And once that happens, I expect to see incremental institutional adoption, um, leveraging the promise of, of, of the technology. And then the last thing I'll tell you is I'm in this space every single day. Um, There are the smartest people, um, some of the smartest people I've ever, ever encountered in my life building in this space. Um, These people are not going anywhere. Their head's down, they're building, and um, I'm very excited to see them unlock the promise uh, that we believe is capable.
0: Thank you, Chris. Peter and Rachel for that conversation, and thank you for our listeners for taking the time to listen to this webinar podcast. Academy Securities is a service-disabled veteran-owned investment bank with a social mission to mentor, hire, and train military veterans to develop careers in finance. If you have a question for our advisory board, please email us at info at academysecurities.com. I'm your host, Andrew Robinson, and I look forward to speaking with you again soon.